Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Because David Yates and Oliver Phelps still have a lot to say about Deathly Hallows Part 2, this is MuggleCast Episode 235 for July 29th, 2011. This week's episode of MuggleCast is brought to you by Hypable.com, a brand new entertainment website created by the staff of MuggleNet. Hypable is a MuggleNet for multiple fandoms, passionate, complete coverage for all the fandoms that we cover. Now with over 40 fandoms including Glee, True Blood, Breaking Bad, The Hobbit, Doctor Who, Merlin, and many more. Visit Hypable.com for news coverage you can count on. That's Hypable.com. H-Y-P-A-B-L-E.com. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 235. This is a special edition. It's not your normal episode because we have two great interviews to present you with this week. Micah, tell us who you interviewed. You've been busy at your news desk or real actual desks speaking with people. Who are they? Yeah, I got the opportunity to interview director David Yates uh, back in New York City during the the U.S. premiere of Deathly Hallows Part 2. And that that was a literal sitting across a desk uh, from the director. So it was a little bit nerve-wracking, I'm not going to lie. You know, because uh, obviously in the past, I I may have been critical of of some of the films that he's done. And so there he is sitting right in front of me. it was well, uh luckily he probably has not heard you criticize him before, yeah i don't so. I, I wouldn't i wouldn't say that that he's listened to the show but uh it it was a really good uh interview i thought he had a lot of cool things to say and uh provided a little bit more insight into some of what went on uh behind the scenes of of part 2 and even on the red carpet too he talked a little bit about that that was really cool and then who's the other person and then earlier this week, got a chance to uh, talk with Oliver Phelps, who plays George Weasley, one half of uh, the Weasley twins in the Potter films. <laughs> awesome. So we're going to get to those in a second. But first, we're going to go through a couple of news stories <clears throat> um, throughout this show just to uh, get everybody up to date. And then later, um, in a few more days, we're going to have a new, more regular episode of the show where we talk more about Deathly Hallows Part 2 uh we're gonna get uh richard on everybody remembers his part one thoughts were not so positive 
Uh, but I think he's feeling better about, about part two, so he's going to be on for that. And then also we'll be talking about Pottermore because the beta is going to be opening up and we're, there's obviously going to be a lot of new information that's going to be worth discussing about Pottermore and the new information that J.K. Rowling released within Pottermore. Now, so, what do you think the chances are that all three of us get access to Pottermore? Oh, I, I'd say that won't be difficult. Well, <laughs> sorry to make your question less interesting, but I think it's, I think it's going to be easy. Do you think they blacklist our emails? Like if it's at staff.mugglenet, they'll just set it aside? I think we're going to be able to jump the beta invite line, but that's not for certain yet. So. Oh, okay. Um, and, and plus we'll know exactly when and how to get through, to get in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so. Yeah. I don't think we'll have any problem, nor will MuggleNet visitors. So that's just my guess, though. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, no, yeah. If you were a betting man, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this is not on any factual information. So <laughs> anyway, uh, what's what's in the news, Micah? Well, we have some box office numbers to talk about for uh, Deathly Hallows Part Two. Uh, it started off really strong, which I think most people anticipated. A uh, little bit of a drop-off this past weekend, but it set the midnight record with $43.5 million here in the United States. It set uh, the opening day record with $92.1 million, and it set an opening weekend record uh, with $168 million. And it, it was the fastest movie ever uh, to half a billion dollars. Uh, it currently stands at $833 million after just over, what, about 10 days in theaters? I would say $833 million. So it will That's... inevitably pass the $1 billion mark. It's just a question of, you know, where it's going to end up. Uh, top five all time, maybe a little bit uh, too much to ask for. What do you guys think? Is it? I think it's still kind of early, too early to tell. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, this is of no surprise to me. I mean, I, I expected many people would be coming out more so than other films to catch the last one just because it's the last one of t- of eight and after 10 years yeah and, so. and now it's actually up to 840 million so uh a little bit of an update there but the, the other huge thing I, I, that we reported was that it passed star wars as the highest grossing uh film franchise of all time and uh that that's Notable, I think, when you look at the fact Star Wars has been re-released in theaters so many times. A lot of people were saying, well, Harry Potter had eight films and Star Wars only had six. But Star Wars actually was was re-released and also they created these special editions. I know, Eric, uh, you talked about them a little bit. Um, you know, that they released these, uh, I guess, enhanced versions of the movie in the, in the late 90s. Yeah, late 90s. It was, I think, 1997 where they did the Star Wars special editions and it was the first... Uh, it was episodes four, five, and six. So, you know, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi in theaters with some added content. It was mostly just a few touch-up scenes and, and things like, uh, Han Solo <laughs> shooting after he gets shot at. Things like that, that, that George Lucas re-released. But it was, uh, leading up for the excitement for episode one. Um, but that was, that was 20 years after the first film. Uh, so, so Star Wars, the idea that this, this, timeless uh but, but age you know series since the 70s and harry potter was able to just come in and surpass it it's really cool okay well now let's begin the interview with david yates conducted by micah tannenbaum i guess i'll start there was kind of a special moment at the world premiere 
um, yeah. you know, between Dan, Emma, Rupert, yeah. J.K. Rowling, you, David mm-hmm. Heyman, David yeah. Barron, and Steve Clovis. And, uh, you know, we were thanking each other in a very emotional manner. Mm. Did you expect that at all, or was it kind of out of the blue? We didn't quite expect it. It was inevitable, though, after working on these films for such a long time. Um, you realize when you're up there on that stage that that's the last time collectively you're together to celebrate all these movies and the books and everything. So um, it just spontaneously happened that we were there and we could look in each other's eyes and say those things. I've never seen Rupert hold cont- eye contact for that long, <laughs> you know, and I, he held eye contact with Joe Rowling and it, that was really moving and really tender. But it wasn't planned. We didn't say, hey, when we get up there, you know what, we've got to say this and that and that. Right. It just all spilled out. And but what was it like, I guess, first arriving at Trafalgar Square, sort of the atmosphere that was there? It was electric. You know, you've got 20... I found out yesterday that there were 25,000 fans there, apparently, and there in Leicester Square. And so... And only Harry Potter, I think, could get that kind of space in central London to kind of close everything. And it was electric, it was exciting, it was moving, because as you go along the line of fans... They're from Sweden, Argentina, Chile, Japan. And they're there because they love the material, they love the world. And it was, yeah, exciting and moving, I would say. Now, as, as far as the movie goes, there were a couple of noted changes, I yes. think, fans yeah. were talking about a lot. One of them was sort of the this epic battle that's taking place between yes. Harry and Voldemort. Sure. And it's, you know, everybody knows from the book, it, it happened in the Great Hall. Yeah. But in this movie, and I saw it the other day, I mean, it's this great battle that sort of takes place throughout Hogwarts. What was the, the I guess, the idea behind the change? I'll just leave that. Okay. Um, I wanted that final confrontation between the two of them to be a little bit more expansive. Um, so you had a greater sense of climax, given that we'd spent so long with those characters and their animosity and their hatred for each other. So it felt to me as though it would feel much more personal and dynamic if they were to head off away from the rest of everybody and continue fighting. So that was the idea behind it. Um, we had an earlier version of it which finished in a similar way to the book, and it worked really well in the book, but in a movie, I think we needed a more kinetic conclusion. Yeah, it's quite a short scene, actually, yeah. in the book. It is quite short, and and um, and I love the notion of them. I love the notion of Harry pulling Voldemort off this precipice, <laughs> and them sort of morphing together yeah. as though they were one. For me, it kind of captured so much of the odd relationship together that they're kind of one but they're not one in a weird kind of way and so it was it's mainly to make sure that the movie felt like it had a theatrical enough ending Mm. to satisfy all the fans of the books and all the fans of the movies and then the other was uh snape's death yeah and that was um 
two reasons we changed the location is one I felt the boathouse would be a more atmospheric place with the lapping of the water and you could see the reflection of the school on fire in the water so it would be more haunting as a space but also but much more practically the only way to get to this shrieking shack based on Stuart's design was to get across the wooden bridge and we'd blown the bloody wooden bridge up so physically getting there became a bit of a number in terms of screen geography so it was much easier to get down to the water and it felt like a more atmospheric place to finish um, and kill Snape yeah it was a great scene yeah cool yeah, yeah no, very good. cool yeah no I'm glad it's good um, and, I mean talking about those two things in particular I mean how important is it do you think for the the fans to kind of differentiate between the books and the movies and kind of realize that not every word that J.K. Rowling writes can sort of end up on the screen. Well, you know, I know the fans feel very strongly about all sorts of things, but if they were just a little bit more like Joe Rowling, who's just a, you know, completely understands the difficulty of adaptation, how hard it is to sort of get all that wonderful stuff that she's created into a two, two and a half hour frame. It's really challenging. And I think that some of them are great, the fans, in terms of the fact that they understand and appreciate that there's two different experiences in a way. And some of them obviously still feel frustrated at some of the things we take out. I get frustrated at some of the things we take out too because, you know, we're all fans of the material, sure. the, the original books. Um, but you have to make choices sometimes to make sure that what we end up in the theatre ultimately works on its own terms. Sure. Now, were there any additions or removals, changes that J.K. Rowling had for specifically Part 1 and 2? Anything that came to mind? Um, generally, she was just very supportive and brilliant. She was really helpful with the Aberforth scene in Part 2. and um, But generally, she was very kind and supportive and off the top of my head there wasn't anything she had a real problem with or challenged um and she was always there on the end of the phone if we needed her help basically she's the best collaborator you could ever want honestly for for this um david hamer was just saying that when he first sat with her and they were talking about the adaptations she said even you know 10 years ago i know the films can't be the same as the books you know, word for word. I completely get that. And she stayed true to her word. Whereas some authors, I think, could be potentially more territorial about it all. Sure. Um, but Joe's kind of wiser than that, in a way. And, you know, generally she really in- enjoys the movies. Mm-hmm. Was there... Um, can you talk a little bit about working with uh, Desplat? Yes. For parts one and two? Yeah. How that different from, I guess... The Order of the Phoenix and Half Blood Prince. Yeah, Nick Hooper is the composer on was the composer on Order of the Phoenix and Half Blood Prince, and he's a good mate, and I've worked with him many times, and he's composed all my earlier, all the all the earlier work I did. Um, and Nick got very tired basically after Half Blood Prince because it's exhausting. The pressure's enormous delivering one of these scores and delivering one of these films, and he bowed out, and. I really liked Alexander's music. I thought it was terrific. And he's French. He's funny. He's incredibly collaborative. 
He's joyful. He has a wonderful team around him, music editors, and and we have we we work with the same mixer, a chap called Peter Cobbin, at Abbey Road, and Peter's a genius basically. So doing the music for these movies with Alexander was probably one of the most enjoyable parts of the whole process of making the movie. And what we would do is Alexander would compose a piece for a scene. I would go in, sometimes with the David, sometimes not, because they weren't there all the time. And I would give notes to Alexander about what was working, what wasn't working. Some pieces of music didn't require notes. Some pieces of music we noodled quite a bit and changed a bit. And we left some time at the end of the schedule to come back once we'd seen all the music together and re-record some bits and pieces if we wanted them. So it was a really, it was really fun. And he's a, he's a great composer. And I think for Hallows Part 2, he's made a really muscular, um, moving, exciting score. And it's my favourite score, probably of the four films. Yeah. I mean, just when it opens up with, you see Snape sort of in that window there, staring yeah. out. It's kind of a very dark feeling. Yeah, I always wanted a really haunted feeling yeah. too. And so we, we always wanted a vocal and, we heard all these singers, and the one we liked most was this Japanese lady called Mai. So we flew her over from Japan because she's really clever, and we um, and we recorded that vocal with her. Wow! Yeah, clever lady, lovely lady, tiny, tiny <laughs> lady, but wonderful haunting voice. Because you listen to it and you go, that sounds like a mother, you know. No. If you could take us back to the the beginning when you found out you were going to be directing Order of the Phoenix. Yes. Um, had you seen any of the previous movies or read the books prior to the job? I'd seen three of the previous movies, but I hadn't read any of the books. So I read, I quickly got the first two books, which I loved, obviously. And, um, and it was those first two books that really got me into it. And then I went on to the fifth book, which they were asking me to do. And there's something... You know, it's difficult not to fall in love with the world. It's difficult not to fall in love with those characters, basically. And, um, but I was, I was a kind of a Potter virgin, if you like, because I had never read any of the books. I'd seen the movies and I'd enjoyed Chris's films and I thought Alfonso's film was really clever. But I wasn't really enwrapped up in the universe like everybody else. And what was the first day like, I guess, at least? It was intense. And, um, exciting. Actually, it was really exciting. Because yeah. you turn up and there's this beautiful set that we've built and grow up this bloke in a green suit with a big stick. And it was just really, I know, I was stood there on that very first day thinking, crikey, this is my first big Hollywood movie. It was a real, I felt very honored and very privileged to start that journey. And it was quite, you know, a little bit scary. But you got used to it very quickly. Now, if you had a chance to add one more scene into the films, what do you think it would be? I mean, if it was something that was, let's say, even in the books, that didn't make it in. Looking back? Or something maybe that was in one of the deleted scenes. There have been deleted scenes all along the way that I wish we could have kept in the movie. You know, there's a lovely scene at Hello's Part 1 where... Um, Harry says goodbye to his cousin. You know, we're at the Dursley house in Little Winging, and um, 
and Harry says goodbye, and it's a really moving scene, which I absolutely loved in the book. And I, I shot it, and I loved the scene, and I had it at the beginning of Hallows. And no matter how we, no matter how many times we tried, we couldn't quite make it work in the structure of the opening that we had. And it's, I think it's on the DVD now. So, yeah. Yeah, and it's a really sweet scene, and, um, it's, it seems like that I miss. I'm, in Hallows Part 2, there's a scene on the beach where Hermione comes up and says, how do I look? And and they have a little exchange together. Um, and again, rhythmically, it didn't quite flow in the way I wanted it to. And so it kind of came out. Okay. Um, and then, given the size of, of books 5 and 6, seeing that you directed Order of the Phoenix and yes. Half-Blood Prince, yes. was there ever any consideration to split those? Or was it always we can get this in one movie. We always thought we could get it in one movie. And also the precedent hadn't been so, set. So, But it was Hallows that we suddenly felt this would be good to try. Do you think also that that's started to set a precedent for you know, book adaptations being split into two? Because I think The Hobbit is now going to be in two parts. And that's interesting. Others. It might make it easier for some studios to because they've got their head around it now. They might say, oh yeah, well, those guys did it, so we should do it. But I'm, I'm sure Peter Jackson, you know, and I'm sure he made that decision based on the material and sure. rather than following anything, they probably thought it made sense to do that. But certainly the studio, Warner Brothers, who are also making The Hobbit, probably thought, well, we've done it and it kind of works, that we can do it again. So it probably makes the studio feel more comfortable, but I'm sure Peter Jackson did it for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the last couple of questions I have are kind of like really quick, uh, no problem. really quick questions. Sure. What was your favorite book of the series? My favorite book of the series, um, I would say, was Goblet of Fire. I think it's a terrific story. And, um, and I, and I like Deathly Hallows. You know, I think it's a really enjoyable, she almost, Joe wrote it almost like a movie. Um, Actually, no, but now you ask me that, I have to say probably it's the first one, because that's the first experience I had of reading Harry Potter. And the charm of it and the tone of it is difficult to beat. So I think I'd say the first book. What about character? I really love Lupin. I think Lupin's a really fun character. Yeah. You know? Um... Uh, creature? Uh, Dobby, without question. <laughs> what about any favorite spell? Uh, favorite spell would be... I don't know, I think... Uh, Expeller Armus is always quite fun, because you can disarm your enemies, which is great. Um, but of course, Expecto Patronum probably has to be the one, because at every point you get, you know, there are Expecto Patronum. And speaking of that, what do you think your Patronus would be? Well, that's a really good question. Um, my Patronus would probably be... I think that's my wife calling. Um, I'd hope it would be a really wonderful Chesapeake Bay Retriever. All right. <laughs> it's a really beautiful dog with a sort of... Sort of very quiet, uh, quite gentle... Um, much more elegant than I am, though. Doesn't drink as much beer as I do. <laughs> and um, if you could have one of the Deathly Hallows, yes, what do you think it would be? I would 
probably go for the Elder Wand, because yeah. it's pretty cool. Yeah, even yeah. though he snaps and throws it off a cliff at yeah. the end of the movie. I could get some clue. It would be fine. <laughs> it would be fine. Yeah. All right, the, the last question I have, you know, what overall message do you want the fans to take away from your Potter films? You know, what's sort of the lasting legacy that you want to leave? That the themes that are really important in Potter for me were the notion of loyalty and friendship and the idea of faith and sticking through difficult times and keeping faith and the power of love. You know, the, the fact that love is such a powerful force, um, and I think that's key to much of her work. Voldemort doesn't have love, you know. He right. leads by fear. And um, and Harry has the love of his friends, and that gets him through. Okay. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, brilliant, mate. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so thank much. Thank you also you. for everything that you've done oh, on behalf no, of you, all mate. of us. You know, oh, mate, on MuggleNet, we yeah. really you know appreciate all the films and everything that no you guys problem. have done. We spoke with uh, David Heyman, I think, you know, months ago or probably last year, June of last yeah. year, and just you guys care so much about taking that story and we putting do. it on screen. Yeah, we do. It's a lot of love. Not just me and David, but everyone who works on the movies. Mikey, great job with the David Yates interview. Thanks. I, I think he had a he had a lot of interesting things to say, particularly with respect to uh, the notable changes that, that fans were worried about and, and didn't know how they were going to turn out, particularly the fight between Harry and Voldemort and also Snape's death scene being in the boathouse as opposed to the shrieking shack. I like also when he talks about working with, uh, you know, the, on the scores and bringing, he said he, he flew that, that lady in to do the vocals at the beginning of the film, uh, from Japan and he just, you know, it's so much care. I think that's, that's so evident. Um, in the films. What was interesting was, uh, as we were walking out of, uh, of, of the Warner Brothers offices in New York City, he, he turned and he asked me what I know about Pottermore. And, uh, (laughs) I said, I, I know about as much as you do. Um, so, uh, it's just interesting to see, you know, how involved, uh, all these cast and crew members are with the series as a whole. (laughs) So he asked you what you knew about Pottermore. Yep. Uh, that's funny. All right, before we move on to the Oliver Phelps interview, first one other news story to talk about. Universal Orlando and Warner Brothers announced a celebration of the Harry Potter films. It will be taking place this November over three days, November 11th to the 13th at Universal's Islands of Adventure, home, of course, to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. And um, they're, they're calling this a, a pretty big special event. I will quote the press release. It says, Guests can celebrate their favorite memories and stories of Harry Potter with filmmakers, cast members, and fellow fans. While all theme park guests will be able to enjoy the Wizarding World of Harry Potter during their visit, only a limited number of guests and those who buy special event packages will have access to exclusive benefits, such as a spectacular evening gala in the theme park, autograph signings with the stars, Q&A sessions with filmmakers and cast members, and screenings of all eight Harry Potter films. So more information about this can be learned by visiting MuggleNet. You'll see a link um, in the news there for um, a celebration. They're also, sell- they're also selling vacation packages that are timed over this. And with the vacation package for extra money, you can get access to that special content, special the special events that I just mentioned. So 
cool idea. I'm not sure why uh, this exists other than for them to send people <laughs> back to the park. Well, it's exciting because they're finally doing something, right? I mean, this is the first event I think that's held in in part by the Wizarding World since the grand opening celebration. Um, that's that true. I recall. And and I mean, they don't even they didn't even really celebrate Christmas or Harry's birthday or anything like. I know I expected them to before this, but, but so this is like the first really exciting Universal says we're going to have some fun in our own darn park. I should have muted my phone. It's, um, uh, it's a bit expensive though, isn't it? Well, is it? Because the, uh, the celebration package, uh, which starts at 369 per adult, uh, is for a four night hotel accommodation at a Universal partner hotel and i just wanted to say from when we stayed there during LeakyCon, like i know rooms at universal or in florida can cost anywhere from 210 dollars a night to you know up up it only it only ever goes up here's the thing the the premier package well first there's the celebration package that comes with the hotel the park ticket the early admission um q a session uh blu-ray set of harry potter films and a couple other smaller things for $300 extra, you get the admission to the nighttime gala event, reservation to one in-park cast member autograph session, uh, and breakfast at the Three Broomsticks. So for an extra $3, you get the party in the park, an autographed autograph, and breakfast. That does not seem worth it to me. Okay, so you're saying that the jump between the celebration and the premiere package is steep. Yeah, but what's the point of going to this if you can't even get into the nighttime gala, the party in the park? I think that's going to be the best best well, thing. Well, is there more than one party in the park? Because I'm looking at... No. It, well, it says on the edge, it says uh, autograph sessions, but that says premiere package only. But then it says Q&A sessions with cast members and Q&A sessions with filmmakers and the creative team. And that is not specifically for just the premiere package. So it does seem like they'll have some well, events for just the celebration package, right? But not the nighttime party in the park event right which in my opinion is the only reason really to 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 go i mean amount that's the best reason to go um all right so more information about that can be learned on uh, MuggleNet, and uh we'll have probably have reports from it if somebody's there yeah i was gonna say i mean i think the other side of it too is there's no airfare included either right so that's important if uh and 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 you know the cost of food in general right no yeah yeah, I think I think though the hotel really is 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 more expensive. I think if we if people were to get uh flights right now, f- like now for November, it would be probably a lot more affordable, it would probably be cheaper, but I I think it's a great discount on the hotels. It has to be. Um Yeah, well, plus, you know uh, what, plus actually... a park ticket. Actually, a one-day park ticket. Now that I think about it, a one-day park ticket's like at least $85. Dollars and a couple day park ticket, as this is, would run one forty, one fifty on top of hotel and on top of which just shows how much they gouge you normally. Um, but I think this package thing is a cool idea. Well, I was just gonna, I was just gonna say, do you know who uh, had uh, some thoughts on the Wizarding World? Uh, who? No, it's a, it's a... Uh, Oliver Phelps. <laughs> yes, there <laughs> Wonderful. you go. Good flow. There you go. Okay, now it's time for Mike's interview with Oliver Phelps. Okay, we're now joined by Oliver Phelps, who plays George Weasley in the Potter films. Hey, Oliver, how you doing? Oh, uh, yeah, awesome. Thank you. All right, I wanted to start off by uh, asking you if you could describe a little bit, what was it like arriving at uh, Trafalgar Square a few weeks ago? Were you ready for that crowd? Um, 
kind of, in a sense that we've been told how big it was going to be. Um, I knew that it was going to be a big thing because the map they showed us was a, an A to Z map, which is like a big street map, really. Um, but I think I was just blown away by the amount of people who were there. Um, I think James and I were outside. We were outside for pushing the three-hour mark, trying to meet everyone who's been waiting for hours and hours and days even. So it was uh, it was pretty insane, um, but really, really cool to be part of. And no rain, right? Yeah, that was it. It was really weird because earlier in the day, um, James and I had to do a, um, an interview. We went to a magic shop down the road in, in London, not far from Trafalgar Square, and it was really coming down hard. And we thought, okay, this is where it's going to be raining all day. And uh, yeah, thankfully, someone was smiling up on us uh, upstairs, as it were, and it was uh, really nice and nice and sunny, which was brilliant. Cool. What's it like looking back over the last 10 or so years um, and now knowing that there's no next movie to go to? It seems like there there was a pretty set structure that you guys had where it was moving on to the next film, to the next film, but now there's no movie 9 to go to. No, I think it's one of those, um, I think it's one of those things where we're, I mean, I, I already, I, I accepted a long time ago that we were, uh, we were doing the last movie as it were. Um, but it was it was quite odd at the uh, at the premiere, um, seeing a lot of people for the last time that we're all going to be in the same room. Certainly for a while, I would have thought. Um, but it was it was good fun, and um, it's kind of one of those things where what next? But at the same time, what better way to end the series and not go on to a number nine? Um, because you know the films are the biggest. It's the biggest movie ever, um, and that's that's pretty pretty cool. What's the experience been like going through it with your brother, always having somebody there who, you know, you're going through this with? It's been, um, I mean, it was, it was all we really knew for a long time. Um, that's how we perceived the acting world to be. Um, and to have, to have, uh, James there with me was, was cool because, especially going into something when you're not from an acting background at all, to have someone there who you who you know, who you get on with, um, was really good to be able to um to share that with him. And obviously relay stories and that to our family when we're back home is quite handy because one of us if they forget something then, you know, the other will jump in. Yeah. Now, as far as Deathly Hallows part two, it shattered a lot of records both here in the US and abroad. You know, what are your thoughts on on how well Part Two is doing at the box office? Yeah, I think it's it's awesome. I mean, when we're making the movies, obviously we don't we don't we don't judge how many people are going to be going to see these things. But I think that there was, I mean, I mean, my my Twitter page was going wild on the opening <laughs> night um, for some people going, I've never had. I think, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. There was over a thousand messages within about three hours or so of opening in the states and everything. It was just insane. Um, but that's that's so cool to be to say I'm I'm part of history as it were I'm I'm in that that thing what's going to take a it's going to take a pretty big juggernaut to try and knock Potter off I think that top spot as you say breaking all the all the records worldwide um, it's uh, it's yeah it's um, it's pretty mind blowing really because as I say you don't you don't know how many people are going to be watching these things until until you see it all over the news yeah I think it actually it just passed Star Wars as the highest grossing franchise of all time so i mean that's just wow. insane yeah that's that's pretty that's pretty especially as star wars has got probably 20 30 years on, on yeah. um it's yeah it's it's, it's mind-blowing really um i think i when we i mean this all when james and i became part of it just because we 
we chanced it and went for a uh, an open audition um well, 11 years ago now and it was uh, we kind of just went on a whim so I think if you were to tell me 11 years ago oh by the way yeah it'll be bigger than Star Wars I'd probably laugh at you well, it's a pretty good whim <laughs> yeah yeah it was I mean it was um, I mean I'd read the I'd read the first three books because the fourth one had just come out when we went to the audition um, so I was I was familiar with the characters that were but it was yeah it was kind of a you know are you, you going to have to miss a day of school and like, oh Oh no, you know, what can we do? So, uh, yeah, so must, must t- t- took a back burner for the day, so to speak, and, uh, yeah, it worked out in our favour. Yeah, definitely. Uh, can you talk about the, the shift that, I mean, you guys have always been sort of, you know, involved in the comedy side of, of the films, and, and it got a lot more serious in this film, um, you know, particularly for you guys and, and having to film Fred's death. Um, what was that like? Um, yeah, it was, it was a huge shift as opposed to what we'd done um, in any other film before that. I mean, even in part one, then it gets quite serious that Fred and, Fred and George have, do have quite a bit of banter with each other. Um, but to be able to, yeah, to portray the same character in a totally different light was was pretty interesting, and not many actors get to be able to do that. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't a scene I'd like to do too often because it was it was quite very emotional because the way David. Um, Gets you to uh, like try try to get you to act is to relate it to a certain part in your life um, to bring it real, which I'm all for because you really get the real emotional side of it. Um, but it was quite draining seeing like my own brother um, laid out on the floor, all pale and not moving. It was uh, it was it was quite an emotional couple of stuff. I think we only took about five takes to get it or so. Wow. Um, but it was it was a, it, it was a good, yeah it was quite weird. So I thought at first it would be a closed set which means that no one's on set except the director, Cameraman, and the people in the scene. And then I walk into the great hall, and the whole way you see in the film, the whole, the whole uh, hall is just filled with people. Um, so, yeah, that, that was a bit odd, because I'm not really a, a crying type of guy. And uh, to do that in front of a couple of hundred people was uh, different, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would imagine it's a pretty difficult scene to be able to shoot. Um but I guess kind of flipping it around, what was your favorite part of, of Deathly Hallows Part 2? Um, my favorite, what do you mean, to film or to watch? Uh, both. Both. Um, well, I think to film it would be there's the scene when, um, when Voldemort comes into, um, into Hogwarts. And, uh, and when we're filming that, it was quite a chilly day in, um, I think it was just before, it was just before Christmas, yeah, so it was quite quite crisp in the air, as it were. And, um, yeah, we were just standing there, and the performance what Ray Fiennes gives is just the ultimate villain. Um, you see how evil this bloke is. And it was, uh, it sent Simmons down my spine just filming it, so to do that was, was such a cool scene. Um, and to watch, um, I mean, I quite like the scene uh, when when Matt Lewis uh, Neville gets to uh, chop off Nagini's head, it's quite <laughs> cool. A cool scene. Yeah, it was um, really I cool. Think Matt's been wanting to do something like that for years. Did you see that in 3D where the the head sort of flies off at you? Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, we the first time I saw the film, we were in Madrid um, on the promotional circuit, as it were, and there was there was only eight of us in this in this screening room for it, and it was this high definition. Um, 3D projector thing, and yeah, and seeing that, I thought, wow, this brings a totally different dimension to the school as well. Um, 
gauge a good size and scope of the whole thing. Yeah. Now, have there been any scenes over the years involving the Weasley twins that that you would have liked to make the films, but they didn't? And and it could either be, you know, maybe something that was deleted or something that you read in the books that you thought was really cool. Yeah, um, I mean, there's a few. Obviously, like you'd love to, you'd love to have them in. Um, I think like the swamp scene in, in the Goblet of Fire would have been cool, um, but that, that was never even in, in the original script for obviously timing purposes. But something like that would have been cool, or or maybe to have Peeves throughout the series would have been would have added to the Fred and George thing. Um, but but it's, I mean, it worked quite well without that. And uh, scenes we filmed or didn't make it, I can't really. I can't even remember too much to be honest with you. Um you actually forget the scenes what you filmed when then then those are now on the on the film. Yeah. Um I'm not too sure on that to be honest. No problem. Um but, but what is your uh what's the fondest memory been uh at Leavesden over the last ten years? I mean I guess you have a decade's worth of memories there. Yeah, yeah, you really do. There's a lot of people who um who come and go as well throughout the whole thing. Um I mean, my, one of my fondest memories was um, the Yule Bull scene in the Goblet of Fire, walking onto that set, um, because there was so much going on. There was, uh, although the Weird Sisters didn't make the final cut because there was some, there was a band called the Weird Sisters or something, and they all got a bit political. Um, so unfortunately, they couldn't, I didn't make it. But it was like it was like a proper concert. Um, the one day when they were filming and they didn't tell us anything what was going to happen so there was all these pyrotechnics going off in the background and it was so cool um, that was funny it was just before Christmas as well so everybody was getting into the festive spirit next week that's cool uh, <clears throat> sorry um, I guess uh, I have a couple of uh, Twitter questions here that, that people sent in um, and uh, the first one here is from Bethany McCoy. She she wanted to know how did you guys decide who was going to play Fred and who was going to play George. Um, we didn't have the decision. It was um, it's quite funny when we got to the first read through. Um, so basically, all the all the cast sit down in a big room and read through the script, and so they could gauge timings on it and everything. And uh, we got there and we didn't know who was going to be Fred and who was going to be George. So Jenna Hurdson, who is the head casting director, was there. And uh, we said, Janet, do you know who who's playing who? She said, you're kidding, right? I said, no. So we see her, her trot off and uh, go and speak to uh, Chris Columbus, David Heyman, and um, J.K. Rowling was sitting there. And she came back a few minutes later and said, right, uh, James, you're Fred, Oliver, you're George. So we'd like to think that there was a lot of thought and, uh, you know, <laughs> real uh, thinking about what was going to happen but it may just be that oh uh, yeah he, he can be George so uh, well, I'll never know that question but I probably don't want to know the answer to be honest uh, David Given says what was your favourite prank that uh, Fred and George played throughout the series um, I think there's the scene in the um, the half blood prince um, is it the half blood prince I'll try it no, no, not till the uh, Order of the Phoenix. Getting the Phoenix on there. Uh, the Order of the Phoenix, when you see them you know, testing out the Skyrim snack boxes, and there's the uh, there's, there's this one lad sitting there, and he gets uh, he's obviously had like um, gets the mumps, and he's, uh, he's his jaw just swells up and drops down. That was uh, that was really cool. <laughs> uh, Paola says, if Fred hadn't died, uh, where would you have seen him and George nineteen years later? 19 years I, I think they, they'd probably have a chain of Weezes with his Weezes um, yeah they'd probably be uh, 
be up there, um, a franchise in itself, I think. But, um, yeah, I'm not too sure what their, their personal stance would be. They'd probably be married with kids who are causing just as much trouble as they do. <laughs> now, did you get a chance to, to take anything, any props from, from Weasley Wizard Weezers? Um, there was only, I mean, you're not, you're not supposed to, but I think everyone else having a go that day, so I thought, <laughs> oh, I'll be quick. Um, I mean, hypothetically my, my speaking, on the front of this thing, I can use it. I, I specifically, yeah, that's, that's, that's right um, it would be, yeah, there's, there's a bag, um, what they sell in, or what they, you know, they put all the, uh, the products in when they sell them. And, um, I, I, I would have taken one of those, so to speak. Um, it look really cool to, um, to have, and it's quite different. It's not like the normal pot of props. Uh, yeah, and have that have that framed on my wall because that that was certainly Fred and George's uh, Fred and George's thing. Nice. Uh, and Tom asked, uh, "This is this is a bit of a different question. You're a big sports fan. Do you follow anything here in the United States?" Yeah, um, the NFL would be the uh, the main thing I watch over there. Obviously, with the uh, the lockout, so to speak, at the moment, I'm not sure if we're going to see much. So I've been to the uh, the last two NFL games we've been in in London. Oh, wow. uh, so we were in, uh, yeah, I really ever got into it because we were in Chicago for the um, world exhibit, and they were uh, they were opening it there, and they, the guy said to us in the one office, "What do you want to do?" So I said, uh, oh, "I can't like to see the Bears play they're playing tonight." So we were fortunate enough. Uh, I felt really um, I felt like I was taking it from someone who could really deserve it. But we went to uh, actually we were actually able to go on the field before the game and everything, and uh, I got really into that then. And it's I mean, t- 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 it's more of a tactical game, so I think if you don't understand it, it can seem quite boring, but yeah, I really got into it, so ever since then I've been watching it all the time, and uh, yeah, my team is the Bears, and they're actually playing in London this year, so hopefully I'll be able to get down and uh, and see them if the season kicks off. Yeah, yeah, I think the lockout's actually supposed to uh, hopefully resolve itself in some capacity today. Um, so hopefully. Oh right. Oh cool. Yeah, actually, uh, the, the news on it is a bit, a bit hit and miss. So I'm in between really and over here. So sometimes you hear that they've, um, that something's happening. Other times you don't. So oh, that'd be awesome if it does. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, all right. The the last few questions I have here are kind of like really quick questions. Uh, what was your favorite book in the series? Uh, the Goblet of Fire. Was the favorite scene that you filmed as George? Um, the ear scene in part one when they're uh, when they bring him in and he's all a bloody mess. The holy scene. Yeah, the holy scene. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, what favorite character? Um, probably Voldemort. To be honest, um, as I say, he's like the ultimate villain. You don't know. Uh, I don't know if there's ever been a villain in film or or literature where he's he just doesn't seem to have any. Um, leeway, like you see that in part two where he just kills this, this bloke who questions him once, because he's, uh, you know, I can't remember why, no, he says, you know, don't think you should give the kids more time. And, uh, that's the end of him. <laughs> uh, favorite creature? Um, the Nagini. Favorite creature. Favorite spell? Um, probably Expecto Patronum, just because uh, I was able to do it in the film, but I never saw what the, what the Patronus was for George. So I'm uh, always uh, always been intrigued by that spell. What do you think it would be? Um, probably something like a monkey, 
you know, like a cheeky monkey or something like that. It's always up to mischief, man. You don't know what they're going to be doing. Um, and if you could have one of the Deathly Hallows, which one would it be? Um, would it be probably the Elder Wand? Just because uh, it could come in a lot of handy when you're doing uh, jobs around the house. Like I've just come back from the the promo tour last week, and I still had like almost almost stuff to do, like clean and everything. So I think an Elder Wand would come in come in handy for that. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you know, you could just get like it's all my own shuffle and washing and everything. Like. Yeah, you you were traveling around quite a bit, right? It seemed to, as if you were all over the world. Yeah, yeah, we um, we really enjoy doing the promo things because they uh, it's a good way to go and meet all the fan base who, uh, as I say, you don't understand how many people are seeing it when you're filming. So um, to be able to go and watch it and meet people, I mean, when we went to Helsinki, um, the noise out there was insane. It was so loud. Um, and then yeah, we did. So in the space of about two weeks, we went to we went to Florida. Um, like to the Wizarding World in Orlando, um, at the Universal Resort. Then we went to Madrid, um, Amsterdam, Rome, London for the main premiere, Dublin, Helsinki, Paris, and then Hong Kong. Wow. So it was, uh, it was, it was quite a, a fun trip, but we, we had a floss, you know, we're sleep, sleeping with dead type of thing, so yeah. you gotta make the most of these things while you can. So, so you racked up a few miles there? A few, yeah, I did join a few, uh, a few, uh, a few loyalty clubs, shall we say, so I made cash days in one day. But it's one of those things you never think, you think, oh, do I really want to do this? But, uh, I mean, we're always very fortunate with the way we travel, it's not like we're doing it in a shoebox, we, uh, they, they always put us to the front of the plane, so to speak, so we have some nice leg room, and, I mean, I'm quite, I'm quite tall, I'm six foot three, so I'm really glad with the, uh, with the leg room that we get. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm about six foot, so I under, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, especially on the long haul trips, you know. Yeah, uh, and just quickly speaking of the Wizarding World, I mean, what's what's it been like going there? You know, a- after having spent so much time on set, it's it's re- it's absolutely amazing that seeing that they've been able to do that in um, you know a totally different environment. Really, I mean, it's not like a film set where you've got time to set things up, and it's all you know everything's been thought of really well out there. Um, and it's just, I think that's the, the cool thing about it, because when they told us originally that they're building a theme park, um, at Universal for, for Harry Potter, we thought, oh, right, okay, yeah, it's just going to be, you know, a roller coaster and they'll stick a Harry Potter sticker on the right. side of it, I think. And it's, it's totally, like, all about Harry Potter. Um, it's just, I mean, we've been fortunate to go there three, four times now, even. And the, uh, I mean, the guys at Universal really know this stuff. And, uh, although I found, I, we went back, as I say, we went back, um, last month. It was the first time that we've seen, um, like, it, with people in there. And it's just been so cool. Um, they, they said it was a quiet day, but, I mean, it's actually quiet day. God knows what the, uh, the busy days are like. So saying in, within a month, they passed a million people on the ride. And, um, and within, I think 11 months, over 7 million people have, um, gone on the forbidden journey right so it's uh it's doing well i think yeah what did you what did you think of the uh the forbidden journey yeah it was it was awesome i've never um to see technology like that was was fantastic so i can remember when we when we did a little we, we did a little cameo at the end where we were just standing waving in the great hall um, right. and again they were, they were using these huge um using these huge uh cameras 
to to get the whole realistic thing of it. And the thing with the ride is that you you don't really know when you're where you're going to be seeing it or, or anything like that. But it's it's such a fun, fast moving ride, um, which is really cool. And I think the best way to describe it to be night is almost like an arm, what they use to make cars. That's probably the best way to describe it. The robotic arm type thing, and you've got a uh, you're on a seat in that, and it's taking you all around uh, Hogwarts and everywhere. Yeah, yeah, they flip you. A million and one different directions too. You never know what's coming next. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's um, and there's some really cool parts in it. Like when you uh, when it, when the dementors come near you, and all of a sudden you see your face in the um, yeah. in the sc- in the clouds and everything. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, yeah. Well, before I let you go, I just wanted to ask: Do you have any uh, future projects uh, that are coming up? Yeah, there's um, there's a few things that are in the certainly in the in the pipeline at the moment. Um, both James and myself are looking to do stuff separately. Um, I think that's the uh, the important thing. Where how we see it is to define ourselves as we might have seen the double act, which we're we're, we're happy to do and we like doing. But it would just be good for our own our own self esteem. I think to be able to do go out there and do something different um, apart from each other. So there's there's one thing where I'm still waiting to uh, to hear on. But that's looking quite promising um to the film and there's another thing which is um i've been asked a few questions about it's called um, the latin quarter um but i'm not too sure when that starts filming it's going to keep getting pushed back but uh yeah hopefully that'll be uh sometime in the future cool well uh really appreciate you taking the time to uh to come on the podcast with us awesome no problem well thanks for uh thanks for all the support over the years there as well all right mikey good job with that how 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 would you rate that one you gave us a description of Mr. Yates's interview. Well, this one wasn't was fun talking across him? a table. You know, I was I was at home on my own computer uh, talking over Skype, so it was a little bit, a little bit different, a little bit more relaxed, I think. And uh, talked a little bit about football, the NFL lockout uh, being over now, and so uh, it was more of a chill conversation. I see. Very good. Let's go into the final news item of the day, which is concerning. The Harry Potter Alliance climate contest plug, or just climate (laughs) contest. Eric, I think you got this one? Yeah, sure. So the uh, Harry Potter Alliance is teaming with a group called Splash Life. They're a charitable group, and they have a contest running right now. Um, Entries are closed, but essentially they asked for art and ideas to fight the climate crisis. Um, And actually, I submitted, I worked on a music video with a bunch of friends. We wrote our own song and recorded a music video, uh, which you can find on Splash Life, and it's on YouTube. Um, but if you guys could uh, just go there, watch it. There's also a bunch of other good ideas that other Harry Potter fans everywhere have submitted uh, for finding, you know, for fighting climate change. Um, but it's 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 really cool. There's a lot of cool ideas, and it's just kind of that is going on from now until July 31st, Harry's birthday. Obviously, I would love it if my music video could place in at least the top five. So please, if you can, go to splashlife.com, find me, and vote on it. Thank you so much. Um, but also, there's lots of lots of good ideas on there for for making change happen, and it's a good it's a good contest, it's a good charity. Um, I think the HPA has has gone above and beyond with with organizing this and making sure that you know all the votes are in and and that everybody can can submit. They extended the deadline a bunch of times first because LeakyCon, uh, you know, people were distracted there, but I, you know, it's going to be good. It's going to be a good contest, and it runs until July 31st. So that was it. 
And finally, MuggleCast.com has all the information you need about this show. Just visit MuggleCast.com, and on the right side, you can find links to our iTunes, our Twitter, our Facebook, our Tumblr. And then at the top, you can click on Contact, and from there, you can fill out the feedback form. If you have any comments concerning maybe the Oliver Phelps or David Yates interviews today, um, whatever you would like uh, to let us know that's on your mind, just go to MuggleCast.com. And you can find all the information there. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric Skull. And I'm Mike Tannenbaum. We'll see you soon for episode 236. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.